Hi there, this is Laura Camacho, and I'd like to welcome you to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. I'm super excited that you're here. This is a place where we learn how to do our work better without working harder, and usually that's through communication. And today we have a great guest who is going to tackle the issue of knowing it all. Now, we all know there's people at work who don't know it all, but act like they do, and they talk a lot. And I also know from talking to you, there's a lot of people who actually know a lot, but because they don't know a thousand percent of the thing, they won't speak up. So this episode is for you. If you are not speaking up because you don't have a hundred percent of the facts in your hand, this is what you need to hear. I promise you this is going to pay off. Our guest today is Wanda Wallace. She is the author of You Can't Know It All, which is the truth. You cannot know it all. Things are changing far too fast for anyone to know it all. So she's going to tell us what we can do. And we're going to talk a lot about getting out of our comfort zone, because that's really what it boils down to. Our comfort zone comes from knowing what we know. And then we have to speak on issues that we don't really know everything, but we do have some informed opinions. This episode is brought to you by the Practical Guide to Effective Communication. Get recognized for the value you already contribute. It is a book on Amazon that is a godsend to people who need to speak up more, who are not getting recognized. It is a book with so many different chapters on different aspects of communication. If you have a key presentation, it's going to tell you how to nail it, how to improve your quality. If you are, are new to senior leadership, there's a couple of chapters you need to read about sharing your point of view and making sure that you're not surrounded by yes people. If you feel like your emotional intelligence is not where it needs to be, there's a chapter for you. Every chapter could be a book, but I put all these like mini books in one book. It's not even that long, but it's packed super intense with information, the practical guide to effective communication. And now I will bring you our guest today, Wanda Wallace. She's an accomplished keynote speaker. She is the managing partner of the Leadership Forum. Like me, we have this in common that we like to help leaders get better by improving the quality of their conversations. Wanda Wallace also was in academia for a while, but she was not in the Department of Communications. She was at the Duke University Fuqua School of Business, and she focused on executive communication. So she really is super duper knowledgeable about educating people for senior leadership. So I'm excited and I want you to be taking notes unless you're driving about how to be a great leader without knowing it all. All right, Wanda, well, we're super happy to have you on the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. I think your topic is amazing because I speak to people every single day who are holding themselves back or they're not comfortable making decisions, speaking up about topics that they're not fully immersed in. Usually they build their confidence from knowing their area of expertise upwards and sideways and upside down. And then one day you wake up and that's not the case anymore. But before we get into that, I would like to know a little bit about your past. How did you get into executive education? All right. So first off, like every career of every senior executive I've ever spoken to, it is not a linear track. 
So I started his PhD in psychology. I moved into the business school as a faculty member in business school. I was teaching marketing at the time. Life was going great. And suddenly we reorganized our curriculum to do a thing called team and leadership and integrated learning experiences. Who would have thought, all right? And I happen to have spent my undergraduate years deeply immersed in experiential education. Again, who would have thought? And actually on team building activities. So outward boundish kind of models. Fun. So as a very young faculty, I put up my hand and said, I have some interest. And suddenly I'm in charge of this thing that our entire first year MBA students are coming in to take on team building and leadership. Because how many faculty have that set of experiences? Right. You were the right person in the right moment. As soon as that was done, executive education is calling saying, whoa, 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 we need that. We don't need marketing faculty members talking. We need a team and team development. And that just sucked me in. And eventually I took the job of running executive education, which was like going from being an individual contributor as a faculty member to a staff of over 30, a PNL, a proper boss, a board. I was accountable to clients. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Twisted journey. Yes, that is fantastic. But you were in the right place at the right time, but you were also there because you loved the psychology of what makes us tick, what makes us do quality work, work together as a team. And so in a way, it was a natural progression of your innate desire to understand the human person better. Very inspiring. So as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, every single day I talk to off-the-charts intelligent people who have this tremendous confidence when they're speaking of their area of expertise. And you who are out there in the audience, you know I'm talking to you. And you know we've had this conversation. And kind of like your own story, my story was similar in that I got my PhD and had experience with the seven habits of highly effective people being a facilitator. So I knew my craft and then I opened my own business. Oh, guess what? Not the same skill set required. So I also have been in that, oh, I don't know what I'm doing mentality, which is not comfortable, but I had not connected that it's ultimately a comfort zone question. Am I reading that correctly? If you think about people who are deep experts, which is where we start our careers today, you become an expert. And I'm not talking individual contributor. You can be a deep expert with a team of hundreds, but you know everything there that people know in that area. And yeah, there's stuff you don't know, but you know you don't know it and you know nobody else knows it. And that's kind of okay. And your confidence is, ask me any question in my area of expertise, I can cope with that. Not a problem. Not going to catch me out. And that is a comfort zone when you get there with that level of expertise. And right around mid-career is where you've kind of hit the peak of what you're going to learn in your area of expertise. Yeah, you'll add a few adjacent pieces, some new knowledge, but the learning journey in the content is kind of at a peak. At that point that people are starting to say, what's next? Mm -hmm. And what's next is not more depth. It's not another certification. (laughs) It's not another certification. I mean, you're welcome to go get a different certification in another area, but it's not going to be the same as that learning journey from when you were early on. 
And people get themselves stuck at that place. Now, if that's what you love and you never want to leave it, then stick. Great. Fantastic. But if you have aspirations to continue to grow or to continue to accelerate your kind of career or to have broader responsibilities, then the next step is out of the comfort zone of expertise. And it's leading areas where fundamentally somebody else knows stuff you don't know, never will know, but you're still calling the shots, you're still making the decisions, you're still organizing the team, and you're still adding value to the team. Value isn't about your content knowledge. Your value is about a whole host of other things. Getting comfortable with that level of value is the out of the comfort zone move. Exactly. And the thing about being out of your comfort zone is that it's not comfortable. (laughs) It hurts a little bit and it feels awkward. Adding value, we all want to do it in a way it's being helpful. And that is what makes our jobs, whatever they are, more meaningful. That it's not just checking boxes and bringing home a paycheck, but that we are adding value to other people's lives. So tell us, how can a person add value if they are no longer the master of that domain. And I would say that that domain is probably changing so much. How can you constantly stay on top of your domain when that domain is shifting and moving so much now? Okay. All right. So first off, I believe it's not an either or. It's not that you're an expert or what I call spanning because it's both. You still have to maintain your domain of expertise because Content knowledge is a currency today. We're in a knowledge economy. So you still maintain that, but that isn't all the value you're adding. You're adding additional value. It's an and, not an or. I don't drop my expertise. I move to an and. And the way you add value as an and is it leans into what doesn't get done when you stay in your expertise. So if you think about what you need a manager to do, You need a manager to manage the stakeholders. You need a manager to persuade stakeholders that a particular direction is the right direction. You need a manager who will connect the dots among all the stakeholders. You need a manager who can open their network and say, go speak to this person, they can help you, or go speak to that person, they can help you. You need a manager who can elevate out of the details and into the bigger picture and help you think about the implications of that bigger picture. We often say connecting the dots. Those are what you do in the spanning space to add value. You open your network. You keep the stakeholders aligned in the right way. You resolve some conflicts that can't be resolved by the details. You are helping the person see priorities and strategic focus. Those are the value adding components when you're not an expert leader. You're speaking my love language. All of those are communication skills in a way. Or everything that happens in business, I think happens in a conversation. So it's all conversation at the end of the day. All right. So you know that I'm going to be president of the Wanda Wallace fan club because she is speaking my love language. But for you listening, since you probably haven't read her book yet, you can't know it all leading in the age of deep expertise, which of course we're going to link to. But she talks about E leaders that are leaders based on expertise and S leaders that are based on spanning the expertise. Would you like to expand on that just a little bit? All right. So an E leader is an expert leader and they're a leader. It's not an individual contributor role. They lead small teams, big teams, massive teams. 
And everything that happens under their control is stuff they understand and know about. So the team can come to them and say, hey, boss, how do I do? And the boss will know how to direct them. So the team may come to brief, but this is a boss who understands the details of that area of expertise and who asks very intelligent questions, often quite drilling down questions because they do need that level of detail. And usually the team loves them because this is a team who says, I understand why you're my boss because you know more than I know and I am going to learn from you. This other person over here, which I call spanning, who doesn't know anything about my area of expertise, why are they the boss? Because how the heck are they going to help me is usually the conversation. So an expert leader is in control. Think about it as somebody who's a chief internal auditor who knows audit thoroughly and is going to come in and help the entire audit function elevate their performance because they know what needs to happen, how it needs to happen, where it needs to happen, and so on. Okay, so that's the expert leader. The spanning leader in the spanning space, I should say, because it's all a combination of the two, you are spanning across domains of knowledge. So you may have an area of expertise, but you're adding on areas that you might not know in depth. Like my audit person could add compliance, or they could add pieces of legal, or they might add a piece of operations. So they begin to pick up areas where they don't have depth of expertise. And there, everything becomes elusive. You know, what is my value to the team becomes elusive. What is the work I'm supposed to be doing? Because I can't do the work my team is doing. How do I know my team is doing the right work, quote unquote? And how am I talking to people now becomes a very different process. I'm not talking about the content. I'm talking about other things. Yes. And I see directly into professionals in the technical domains, engineering of all flavors, even product management, finance, cybersecurity. But would this also be true, say, in human resources or marketing and the softer side? All right. So imagine somebody who's in HR, who's a compensation and benefits specialist. And usually in most HR functions, that's a deep expertise. Or we could say somebody who's in labor relations is a deep expertise, and you tend to stay your entire career in going up the ladder in either of those two areas. You don't often see comp and benefit specialist in HR moving into a general HR business partner kind of role. It doesn't happen because it's a deep area of expertise. Same is true in legal. But then you hit a ceiling for how far you're going to go in your career Because there just isn't that next senior level job in that area of expertise. There's nothing wrong sticking, let's say, in the head of comp and bin or the head of internal audit or the head of whatever, but just know where you're going to hit a ceiling. And you have to ask yourself, is that what I want? Or do I want to look for ways of broadening my experiences before I get to the senior most levels? Does that make sense, Laura? Yes, absolutely. I'm taking notes. I'm sure the people who are listening are not in their cars. So how does one start spanning before you get the opportunity to apply for a spanning job? Okay. So it's not that you should abandon your area of expertise because again, it's a function. You're always going to trade on your area of expertise. We're looking to add. And I recommend people not take their first job completely out of their comfort zone and hope it works. 
<laughs> small steps. Okay. So there's some really simple ones that you don't even need your boss's approval for. There's all sorts of network opportunities like interest groups, employee interest groups, say a women's group or say whatever that you can volunteer for to be part of and lead. You can do recruiting events and take a leadership role. You can do charity events and take a leadership role. All these extracurricular, if you will, activities that are value add for the company, we want people to be involved in them. Step in and take a leadership role because you're not the expert in that area, but you're leading. And then talk about it. Tell your manager that's what you're doing. Tell your other stakeholders what you're doing. And then people will see you as having that capability of stepping outside your comfort zone. Or volunteer for a project that is not in your area that you might add to from your area, but you're going to be asked to lead in a different way. All of those are good ways of testing the water and get some experience. And you're actually going to become a more interesting person because you have something else to talk about and your family is going to be super grateful. So we're not only helping your career, we're improving your family dynamics. You're welcome. All right. So Wanda, I want to know, what are the myths that we have? These ideas that we have, you've spelled out one of this myth that you're adding value to the degree that you have all the answers of how to do the job. So are there any other myths that we think that, well, I can only add value if X, Y, Z? Yeah. One of my favorite myths, often firms will call this enterprise thinking or enterprise level so the notion, especially when I come from a deep expertise area, is that I'm called to a meeting and someone is going to say, hey, Wanda, tell me about X, Y, and Z in your particular area. And I feel great because I'm invited to a senior level meeting and they're listening to my point of view and it's a lovely conversation and blah, blah, blah. At some point, leaders will turn and say, well, Wanda, how do you think that you just presented impacts something way off in left field? Mm -hmm. My answer as an expert is typically, I don't know. That's not my responsibility, somebody else. That's a myth. It is your responsibility to know. It's your responsibility to have an opinion, to think about it, to talk to somebody else, to consider how your area of expertise has a broader impact across the organization. So enterprise level think it's the single skill we're looking for when people reach the very top of the organization. I don't want you to represent your business anymore. I want you to think across businesses or across functions. I love that. Yes. And that is your ticket to senior leadership is that enterprise thinking. Like how does the feature that you're working on and that computer program, how is that affecting accounting or human resources, right? Right. Okay. And it's not just ticket to senior level leadership. Without that, you're not going to get a senior level leadership. It's your ticket to impact. Ooh, which is even better, right? We all want that regardless of our titles. Exactly. You may not want that high title, but you're going to have bigger impact at that level if you can begin to think broader across areas, not just in functional space. So to recap, yes, you're going to have more impact by connecting the dots with what you're doing and how that impacts people in other areas of the business. If you're not sure, like you're thinking, well, actually, I don't know. Well, you need to find out, right? So you need to talk to people in other areas and get that knowledge that you can refer to. So I learned from another podcast guest, this tool 
call it a question bank or I call it a portfolio of questions of what are the questions that I'm likely to be asked or I've been asked. So I think that would be a great question to add for you to explore before the presentation, before the executive meeting. How is what I'm working on affecting other areas? I love that. I'm a big fan of having a question bank. So shout out to Michael Marquart and Bob Teedy. If you're looking for a reference for great questions, I'm sure you have wonderful guests too, but their latest book, A Leading with Questions, is just amazing. I got a story. So the story is a woman who's in the oil industry and she has taken a functional role in the oil industry and has zero experience in the oil industry. And if you know anything about oil and gas, you know that it is very much, if you don't know this industry inside and out, then we don't think you can add really value, all right? So she comes in from a completely different area, pretty high level, wanting to have impact pretty quickly. And she learned in this company very fast that the core question was, how does that impact upstream, meaning the R&D development of oil fields or gas fields? So she would ask this question regularly in meetings. So this thing that you're proposing, how does that impact upstream? It's a connecting the dots question. She learned it in her culture. Pretty soon, a year in, she's on the strategy committee because people say she's so strategic. She learned a question to ask that's a connect the dot questions. I can't tell you how impactful that small step is on the impact you're going to have in your career. Oh my gosh. And that's a rinse and repeat question. Yes. (laughs) But what's the core area that we're worried about in our company at the moment, or the core that's making us profit, ask, how does this, whatever we're talking about, impact that core space? I love that. Everybody write that down. How does this affect the core space? There you go. All right, so let's step back a little bit because I know you appreciate the value of conversations and that's something that we have in common. So let's say in addition to developing these spanning questions and our question portfolios and thinking about how what we do impacts the enterprise, let's say manager Jamal wants to be better at conversations. Let's say he's an engineer and a little bit introverted maybe a manager. And he's like, I don't know about the senior leadership business yet, but I would just like to have better quality conversations. What does Wanda say to that? (laughs) I have two things. Okay. Two things. There's more, of course. Oh yeah. Number one, you are always looking to adapt your presentation, your style, your language, your tone, your all of it style to the receiver. So if I'm talking to somebody who is very detail-oriented, then I need to lead with lots of detail. I need to let them ask a bunch of detailed questions and expect it, not get rattled by it. That's what makes them in their comfort zone. Or if I'm talking to somebody who's very big picture-oriented, then I need to start with a concept, not the detail. They don't want to know it. Start with a concept and then they'll work their way down to the detail they want to know about. Mm-hmm. To be find is surprisingly small because that's not how they think. You have to know the person you're speaking to and their preferred style of communication. So big picture detail, chatty, not so chatty, interpersonal task oriented. You know, do we want to talk about you? Do they want to talk about the task? 
do they want to know who else you've talked to or they just want you to come and talk to them? They comfortable with conflict and they're not comfortable with conflict. Just a handful of things like that will help you really hone in on how to approach them. You don't know, ask somebody who works with them. So that's the first thing is you've got to adapt your style. The second thing, I'm on a rant about this lately, is the things that go wrong in conversations past style adjustments are when we have a conflict and no one knows how to deal with a conflict. So as an expert, I tend to keep beating my own drum over and over and over and over again and going back to the data and da 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 and completely miss the fact that somebody else is very emotional about the impact of this content on their world. So learn to deal with a conflict. It's both learn how to approach somebody who's having a reaction. It's getting comfortable with the emotional reactions. There are skills to have a conflict conversation, and that is essential. So those two things, adapt to style and learn to deal with conflict. Those are so good. So good. I teach that is analyze and adapt to your audience. But the, the end of the day, it's not about you. It's about them. And how are you serving them and helping them and making their lives better, right? How do you put them in their comfort zone? Ooh, Because if they, they are in their comfort zone, they're going to react more positively to you and to what you're saying. I love that. And you'll be the leader of the conversation, even if you're the lowest ranked person. And that also to me, speaks to executive presence, putting other people in their comfort zone, right? I love that. My goodness. Well, we're running out of time. I do have one more communication question because I know that you are an accomplished public speaker. You're giving keynotes all the time. And a lot of people that are listening to this They're not giving keynotes, they're giving presentations. But as you know, the longer you work, the more you're being asked to speak. So how can we get better at that? How can we talk about the same topic, essentially our domain and keep it fresh? So those kind of two public speaking questions I have for you. All right. How do you talk about it and keep it fresh is get really comfortable with what your core message is. And add stories. Stories will put your audience in the palm of your hands. And I know you probably don't believe me. It probably feels really weird. Try it one time. And if it doesn't work, you can call me. I'll give you a free coaching session. Honestly, (laughs) go put a story in that. Don't take five hours to tell the story. We want a two-minute story. Right. A two-minute. It's not war and peace. It's an example story. Two-minute story. And just get comfortable with telling a story that illustrates the point you want. That's going to draw your audience to you. Okay. So that is one piece that keeps it fresh, if you will. But how do you get comfortable in public speaking? Look, some people seem to grow up and have no problem standing in front of a stage and just talking. Those people have to worry that they're on point and not going off track all the time. So they have a set of skills to draw on and a set of skills to develop. There are some people who are very nervous about standing in front of an audience. So that group will be very thoughtful about what they're going to say, much better prepared, and they have to get over the nervousness. So I don't care where you are in the world, you got a set of skills and a set of things you have to work on. And the truth is, every one of us can up our game on communication, on public speaking every single day. And if you need to rehearse, then rehearse. That's what you're going to do. I know CEOs 
who stand on stage and rehearse four hours before they give a major talk. And you would think that it was just natural to them. It's natural to them because they've rehearsed. So rehearse. I understand the talks that Steve Jobs is so famous for, that those were rehearsed on stage for two days before the showtime, right? I interrupted you. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I understand from Steve Jobs is it's eight times the rehearsal for the time of the presentation. So if it's a 15-minute presentation, I'm rehearsing for two hours. So days. Yes. If Steve Jobs can do it, so can the rest of us. And everything, you know, to make you a better public speaker is just a set of skills. It's not innate. No, it is not. Otherwise, I would not be here. One of my favorite corporate speakers, CEO, is a deep introvert. Oh, really? I've never seen a better speaker in front of an audience that could hold an audience, 300 people in the palm of his hand. And I watched him do it time and time and time again, but he's a deep introvert. He learned what it takes and he did all the moves that would make you think that he's an extrovert. He would walk the floor. He would tell the stories. He would make eye contact, does all the steps. Every one of them are rehearsed or learned rather, I should say not mm-hmm. rehearsed. Mm-hmm. But when he was done with a talk, there was no sticking around for drinks or networking or whatever because he had put out every ounce of energy he had. So he's out. I totally identify. That is awesome. Yes. Anybody can do it. You just like you said, it's a skill. You practice, you get better. Yeah. And I would encourage you find somebody, you know, find Laura, find anybody who can help you break down the components of public speaking. Because there are distinct skills. You can learn every single one of them. Take them one at a time. Yeah, absolutely. All of you technical people out there, the engineers and the accountants and the CFOs, you already know the hard part. (laughs) This other part, it may feel hard, but it's really not as hard as that domain expertise that you've already acquired. So Wanda, is there any question that I haven't asked you or if there's anything from your book that you want to share with this audience, you're talking to extremely good-looking, motivated go-getters, what say ye? Okay. All right. There are no more hours in the day. It's not about adding hours. It's about being more effective with what you do with those hours. So I agree with you. The one thing I would say is when you're in the expertise space, you're trading on your IQ and the personality factors, the emotional reactions to other people become not so important. As you're trying to move out of your comfort zone and do things in the spanning space, the emotional qualities become really important. How people perceive you, how they react to you, how comfortable they are with you, how much you understand where they're coming from, the emotional things suddenly start mattering. So I can just say one thing, don't be afraid of it. It's another set of skills. Go get better at it because you need it when you're stepping outside your zone of expertise. That will help you from not being boring. And technical people can sometimes be boring. Let's be frank. And nobody wants that. You don't want that. Your audience doesn't want it. It doesn't matter that you're the engineer's engineer, that you're czar or czaress or czarina of engineering. You can still have emotional awareness and be lighthearted at times or be serious at times or passionate. It's not just numbers. It's impact. At the end of the day, anything we're going to do in any organization means I have to get a bunch of people to agree with me. 
I'm yet people to agree with me by tuning into their current state of emotion and their reactions. Love that. Love that. All right, Wanda. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, wants to bring you to their company, of course, you can get the book. You can't know it all. Leading in the Age of Deep Expertise, of course, that's available at Amazon and all the booksellers. What is your preferred channel of contact for our audience? Anyone you can find me on is preferred. So I'm on LinkedIn as Wanda T. Wallace or send me an email at wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com or our website, leadership-forum.com. There's a contact page and all sorts of other information. Hope I'm findable. But also Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, <laughs> you name She's it. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. This was amazing. So I'm expecting great things to come out of this conversation. Wanda has been exceedingly generous and just sharing the things that we need to pay attention to, to get better and to have more impact and to get people to do what we want them to do. So thank you so much. And everybody, I will catch you on the next episode. Have a great day. 